0: Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for bringing us here this morning to hear the truth of your word to fill us and edify us and to give us your grace to glorify you for this coming week. Well, we ask that the truth of your word would be spoken this morning and the truth of your word alone be remembered in our hearts and our minds. We pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Today we are continuing our trek through the first letter of John in our series, That You May Know. Now today's lesson kind of comes out of left field in the flow of John's letter. It's a little kind of a, it's a sharp left turn from what he was talking about last week. If you remember from last week, John was talking about what it means to love one another, not just in word and speech, but in deed and action. And if you jump forward to next week's reading in John's letter, starting in verse 7, we see that John goes right back to talking about loving one another. So it seems odd that these six verses about discerning spirits and, and, and knowing the truth, they almost feel out of place in this, in this beautiful speech that he has for us. But I don't think that its placement here is completely coincidental. I think John is getting at something that's really important for us to remember. And so we're gonna explore that today. If we remember at the beginning of John's letter, one of his primary concerns about the church that he's writing to is all the false teachers that are out there spreading a gospel that is not the true gospel of Christ. And so as I was reading today's passage, my mind was drawn to the movie, The Princess Bride. I don't know if you've seen it, it's, it's great. It's a classic storybook movie about a princess and adventure and true love. It's all very once upon a timey, but it's worth the watch. Now in the movie, the princess gets kidnapped by three men, and one of these men is a short Sicilian wise guy named Vizzini. And Vizzini thinks that he knows everything. He he thinks he's got it all figured out. And whenever he's faced with a question or an observation that he finds ridiculous, he says, well, that's just simply inconceivable. And he says it again and again and again. And he says it four or five times, and yet every time he says it, he's immediately proven wrong. The thing happens. Or what they said was true. So after about the fourth or fifth time that he says the word inconceivable, one of the other three men looks over at him and says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> so today, John is getting at a similar point that I think is very relevant for us today because the word love is one of the most abused words in all of language. We can look back as far as Genesis with Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden. Remember that we have Eve there sitting at the tree of the fruit that God told her not to eat. And she sees that it's good and that it's desirable. And the serpent comes up and says, did God really say that you can't eat that? Did God really say that he would kill you if if you ate it? What he's really saying is, would God really be a loving God if he didn't let you have what you wanted? It's the oldest trick in the book, quite literally. In our world today, there's no counting the number of false gospels and false teachers out there that love to hide behind this word love. They think that just by saying the word love, that somehow that means everything that they're saying is true and that they're, they're, they're speaking from God because they're being loving. When you see slogans like love is love, that's a circular definition. It doesn't reference anything. You don't, there's no meaning there. And so when you hear that, you can look back at people and you can say, you keep using that word love. I don't think it means what you think it means. See, John doesn't want us to be gullible. He doesn't want us to be, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, tossed about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and deceitful schemes. And there are people out there that want to deceive us. See, John wants us to be rather a discerning people. If we are to be mature Christians, we need to be just as good at unbelief as we are at belief. What I mean by that is we need to be able to look into the world and to see the false patterns that are there and to recognize them and to know that that's not what I believe and that's not what I should believe. That's Romans 12 too. And so John gives us, like he has been giving us for the last month or so, another test. Don't you just love tests? This is the test of the non-gullible believer. So John starts off by saying that we need to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Remember in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The false teachers that are out there in our world today, they're part of the spiritual reality. They're part of the spiritual warfare that's going on around us. So how do we know when we see someone who's talking and they're using Christian language and they're using Christian words and they're saying love, how do we know if they're speaking by the Holy Spirit or by an evil spirit? Here's the test. John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world today. See, the key to discernment is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the measuring stick. He's the standard. Way back when, when when you wanted to know what a pound was, when you wanted to know how many ounces something was, uh, the British government actually kept weights, physical forged weights of metal, that said, okay, this is what a pound is. If you want to know what a pound is, bring your scale and we'll compare them, and you'll know, okay, is your scale true or is your scale false? So Jesus is acting in the same way. He is this standard by which we can know what is true and what is not. And so we have to ask ourselves when we hear someone talking, is this priest, is this teacher, or whoever is speaking, are they professing the Jesus of the Bible? Are they professing the born of a virgin, truly God, truly man, crucified, risen, and ascended Jesus? It's not enough for them also to simply say Jesus' name or to recognize that he existed. Even the demons did that. They have to confess it. And to confess Christ means more than to just say the name. It means that Christ has made a difference in your life in some tangible way, in the way that you act, in the way that you think. If someone confesses Jesus or claims to speak for God, but their life looks nothing like Jesus of Scripture or doesn't look like a life transformed, by the Jesus of scripture, then that's a red flag. We know to question what they're saying. Jesus said himself in Matthew 7, "'Beware of false prophets who come to you "'in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. "'You will recognize them by their fruits.'" So if the fruit of their life is bad, you know that their message is bad too, even if it sounds nice, even if it sounds Christian. So John gives us the person and life of Christ as our measuring stick against false teaching. So we know that if a message lines up with the person of Christ, then we know that they're speaking in the Holy Spirit. If not, then we know that we need to not be gullible to their message. Christ must be our measuring stick at all times. If he's not, then we'll begin to do what humans have always done, and that's that we start to measure things with our hearts. And as Jeremiah reminds us, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it okay so we have the command test the spirits and we have the test the standard of christ in his life how are we to know that we're administering the test successfully if our hearts can be deceiving how can we trust what we know how can we trust what we're thinking in our minds well john has the answer to that as well he says little children you are from god and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world You see, it's not about our intelligence, how much we know. It's not about our power and our influence. It's not about our savvy to be, you know, a good conversationalist. None of those allow us to be victorious over false prophets. You don't need a seminary degree like me or Gene to figure it out. It's Christ who is in us. We must always fix our eyes upon Jesus when we're discerning the message of someone in front of us. Last week, John reminded us that we have the Holy Spirit abiding in us, and it's that same Holy Spirit that guides us. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness to our hearts of what the truth is. See, John calls us again little children. If we're going to use this test rightly, we have to have that childlike faith and trust in God and his word. This is the wisdom of God, which the Bible says is foolishness to man. The world's not going to understand it. They're gonna think that we don't know how to reason or that we don't know how to use logic. But to us, it makes sense because we know the one in whom we're trusting. Now, I'm not saying that we can't critically think about things. I'm not saying that we can't use logic and reason. God gave us those things and they're good. But when we we look to scripture and we trust in the Holy Spirit, we know that the logic and the reason that come to us is reliable we can be assured that we have what Jesus said in today's gospel is right judgment. The test of discernment is also something we can't just do alone. The Holy Spirit doesn't just guide each of us individually, of course he certainly does, but he also guides and has guided the whole church from the beginning. Everything from the composing of the Bible to the creeds that we confess, to the hymns we sing and the prayers that we pray together, every single one of these are fruits of the Spirit's labor in the church. It's the way that the Spirit has defended truth throughout history by entering and participating in it. That's why we still sing these old beautiful songs like this morning. That's why we still pray these prayers that are centuries old. It's because they're reliable. The Holy Spirit is our assurance and our promise that the test is reliable too. And we can overcome the false teachers when we use it. Now I wanna take a moment and talk about this other word overcome, because like love, it's another word that it may not mean what we think it means. The Greek word used here in our passage is nikeo, which means to conquer, to prevail, or to get the victory. When you hear these words, where does your mind go? What do you imagine? What images come to your head? If you're anything like me, then you might've pictured images of war, of military might, of the sound of artillery going off and the smell of gunpowder in the air. Is this what John means by overcome? Certainly it's what Israel expected of their Messiah by the time Jesus appeared. Many Israelites in the first century thought that their Messiah would be a military conquering king who would free them from their oppressors and make Israel a nation mightier and unstoppable than any other nation. That's what they thought when they heard the word salvation. But let's use the test now that we have it. How did Jesus himself overcome? He conquered not earthly powers, but spiritual ones. He didn't defeat kings, he defeated death. Jesus didn't come and take life. He came and laid down his own life to give it to us and for us. See, when John says that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, It's because Jesus is greater than he who is in the world because he overcomes not in hate, but in love. So how do we overcome the false teachers of our time? We overcome in love. And we can do so because we know what that word love really means. John 3.16, For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John ends this section implying a command to each and every one of us that we need to hear, and that once we have tested the spirits in love, it's not enough to just take the results of that test, file them away for future reference. If we hear someone speaking false teaching, it's not enough just to say, I hear you, I know that's false, I'm gonna go this way now. John says no, after we test the spirits in love, we have to speak the truth in love. Once we have the results of the test, we have to do something with them. So just as John warned us last week that the world may hate us, this week he warns us that the world may not listen to us. John says that they, the false teachers, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We shouldn't be surprised, therefore, that when an unbiblical teaching becomes popular in the culture, that's not a surprise, because it's the world talking to the world. It's the world telling the world what it wants to hear, not what it needs to hear. Like the serpent in the garden, they use half-truths. They take God's words and they twist them just enough to sound Christian, and then they send it out, and it deceives, and people eat, and people die. When we speak the truth in love, the world is going to see it as hate because they don't recognize what real love looks like. Which is more loving? To let someone live a destructive lifestyle, even if, by the culture's words, it's not hurting anyone? Or to intervene and speak truth and love so that they don't end up dead from their choices? Certainly it seems a more loving option to stop someone from drinking themselves to an early grave. How much more so is it important to stop someone from living into a gospel that's false and that doesn't lead to eternal life? You see, we're called to speak the truth in love, and that's a difficult thing. But that's why I think John chose this moment in his letter to talk about this. In this discourse on love, in this speech about what it means to love one another, John reminds us that love is an action word. Yes, we can be sure that when we test the spirits in love, there are many who won't listen to us. But we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, moving in the hearts of people who are going to be ready to hear the truth and to believe. God is inviting each and every one of us to participate in this work. As Roman 10 puts it, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And that's each and every one of us. Jesus came in love to redeem his people. Friends, we need to confess that love to those around us, to those who need to hear the beautiful name of Christ. When we test the spirits in love, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us to also speak the truth in love. Let us go forth this morning with the love that the world cannot give on our lips. As John reminds us, we are beloved. And there are people around us in our lives every day who need to know that they are beloved too. Amen.